This is a Federal News Network podcast. Space Force, Space Command, Department of Space. It's not certain what form the military space assets will take. A former Air Force nuclear and space operations officer argues, though, that some type of separate Space Force could do good if it has the right culture. Brian Whedon is Director of Program Planning at the Secure World Foundation, and he joins me now. Mr. Whedon, good to have you on. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're saying that, uh, contrary to what some folks believe, that this could scramble up everything, that if it's organized right and it has the right culture, a space force, space command, we don't know what it's going to be called yet, could work. Tell us more. Yes. When the announcement was first made uh, by, by President Trump calling for a separate department of the Space Force, I was one of its more vocal public critics, uh, it, not because there wasn't a problem. I think there's a lot of problems the way uh, the Air Force currently handles a lot of the military base activities, but that I wasn't sure that that sort of big solution, creating an entirely new department in the U.S. government, really fit the problem. Because uh, what this is really about is how best do we organize military space activities in the U.S. Uh, for you know much of the last 20 years, the U.S. Air Force has mainly been the entity running military space activities, but they're, they've run into a lot of challenges recently, and there's, a, I think, a growing number of people, including me uh, and many in Congress, who are frustrated about some of the shortcomings. So that is what's prompted this whole debate, and creating a separate department of the Space Force, as President Trump called for, is one potential answer. Uh, but there are other answers as well about how you restructure that. So a lot of this debate has focused on that structural question. And I guess maybe the underlying assumption behind all of this is that space is growing in importance as a domain, uh, even though it's always been important to communications, but there's a lot of change in space technology happening itself, and there's more dependence on it ahead for the military? Absolutely. You know, since the 1950s, the U.S. has relied heavily on space for national security, uh, primarily intelligence collection and satellites to you know, count Soviet missiles and troop deployments and a little bit later on doing arms control. What we've seen over the last couple of decades is space has become an integral part of military operations, conventional war fighting, and, and pretty much national security as a whole. It's hard to think of a military operation today the U.S. conducts that doesn't involve or depend on space to a significant degree. So that's the real challenge, is as people look to the future, uh, if future conflicts are going to involve space, and if those future conflicts involve uh, uh, what Trump calls a great power competitor like Russia or China that is developing anti-satellite and counter-space capabilities, then the U.S. is going to have to figure out how to deal with those uh, threats to its space capabilities and how to maintain its own access to space in those future conflicts. That's, th- that is the, one of the big challenges facing uh, the, the space community. We're speaking with former Air Force space officer Brian Whedon, who's director of program planning at the Secure World Foundation, and is one of the challenges here in organizing this in some different way. The fact that, yes, even though the services are stovepiped, they all use space, they might be separate at the budget level, 
But at the operational level and in the commands around the world, around the globe that they operate, they do have a lot of intertwined plumbing. Yeah, absolutely, they do. And, and, and that's another piece of this that often gets missed is there are actually two different organizational structures in the U.S. military. There's one structure that is aimed at what they call the operate, train, equip function. That is, they, they recruit people to come in, they train those people to do certain missions and tasks, and they buy and acquire hardware and capabilities uh, that can be used. That's what the services do. That's what the Air Force does. That's what the Army does, what the Navy, what the Marine Corps does. There's a whole separate organizational structure called combatant commands, whose job is to take all those capabilities the services create and use them to go fight wars and conduct military operations. So for example, Central Command um, has uh, authority over the parts of the world that include both Iraq and Afghanistan, um, and, and sort of has a, been a very important combatant command kind of running those wars and managed activities. Uh, Indo-Pacific Command uh, is also in there with European Command, Africa Command, Southern Command, Northern Command. So these are all the kind of the people, the, the parts of the military actually, you know, do war fighting. So part of this debate is not only how do we reorganize the operate, train, equip piece of space, but also how do we reorganize the warfighting piece of space and how does that integrate into all these other capabilities, you know, ships and tanks and planes and infantry troops, and how do all of those kind of come together uh, into a coherent uh, set of capabilities? Um, so on the OT&E side, uh, this is what the Space Force would do in that the proposal was to take the operate, train, equip functions for space away from the Air Force and give them to a different entity, whether it's a Space Force or a Space Corps. Um, and on the flip side, uh, to pull uh, the space warfighting responsibilities away from U.S. Strategic Command and give them back to U.S. Space Command, which was deactivated back in the early 2000s. And all of that leads to the question of, yes, there's a lot of complications and it's easy to move around organizational boxes, but your thesis, which you have expressed in task and purpose, says that the culture of whatever organization they stand up might be more important or at least as important as the organizational structure. What do you mean by culture and how should it be? Yes, and that's an extremely important point that I think has been missed in this whole debate. Organizations have culture. What do I mean by that? Uh, organizations have priorities. They have interests. They have uh, set ways of doing things and processes. And, and those that culture and those interests and processes actually have huge impacts on what organizations do and how they behave. And so one of the big criticisms of the current arrangement is that the U.S. Air Force has a culture built around aircraft and airplanes and air dominance, and that is not well suited to creating you know, space professionals uh, that, that know and understand the space domain, which is very different from the air domain. So when you're thinking about how we're gonna do this change um, and, and change up these organizational structures, uh, the, the big question in my mind is what kind of a culture is the Space Force or the Space Corps, whatever we end up calling it, going to have? And I think getting that right is going to be really critical to a success. Um, I'm argued in my article that 
you know, the space force that we create should have a service oriented culture that is more akin to an air mobility command than um, sort of a, 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 a strict war fighting culture that a uh, air combatant command would have. And why is that? Well, you know, we're certainly going to have to deal with threats to U.S. satellites and also, you know, be able to take steps to deal with other countries like Russia and China's use of their own space capabilities. But the primary focus is still going to be how those space capabilities enable and benefit U.S. military activities on Earth. And, and, and so that is more of a service-oriented mission like tankers and airlift and other sorts of things that is absolutely critical to mission operations. But it's a different mindset than, you know, going out and looking to, you know, blow things sure. up and break things. That's more of the warfighting culture. And when you mention service, that leads to the idea also that it has to be on the acquisition end of things, basically a buyer of services as opposed to hardware, because most of the satellite services that are used in the military are actually acquired from commercial capabilities. And the expansion that's expected of commercial capabilities with the launch of promised hundreds and hundreds of low-orbit communications-type satellites, which could have benefit to the military. So the acquisition end of this whole thing is going to have to be oriented toward buying services. Yes, and, and it, either were services or, or capabilities. And, and that's exactly right. You know, Again, going back to the culture, the current space acquisitions culture in the Air Force is one that dates back from the Cold War when you said, basically, we need to have a capability to do X. That means we're going to stand up a huge program that's going to stretch 10, 20 years. We're going to spend billions of dollars to build a few extremely capable satellites, but they're also only a few of them, and they're very expensive. I'm going to take very long to build. And then we're going to stand up thousands of people or hundreds of people to dedicated solely to managing and operating those satellites. That's sort of the old way the military does space activities um, and, and, and space acquisitions, and that just doesn't cut it. You know, today, the pace of change is moving so much faster. There's so many more options. Instead of the Air Force owning and operating its own hardware, they could purchase a commercial service. They could work with, you know, allies and partners to get access to capabilities. You know, there are many other options out there. So that is a big part of this, um, is fixing that acquisitions culture to allow the U.S. military to move faster uh, to stay ahead of uh, potential competitors. Former Air Force Space Officer Brian Whedon is Director of Program Planning at the Secure World Foundation. Thanks so much for joining me. It was my pleasure. We'll post this interview along with a link to his article at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.